Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome to Farm Advice Agribusiness Podcast, the podcast for agribusinesses wanting to grow through finding the right opportunities and linking up with the right technology. We will be connecting you with the stories from across the sectors, leaving you with the tools and knowledge to implement into your own business. Follow us on our social media accounts at Farm Advice for further motivation to grow your enterprise. Welcome to the Farms Advice Agribusiness Podcast for today. Today we've got Fiona Lee. Fiona Lake. She's an award-winning photographer within agriculture. G'day, Fiona. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. How are you? Going excellent. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. <laughs> if you could just lead us through like where you've come to at the moment and what led you there, like a bit of your personal story. Uh, yes, well, I grew up on a farm and I wanted to study photography uh, straight after school. But uh, I thought I'd better get a proper job. So the long and the short of it was I went to Ag College and then I started selling photos at Ag College. It was a bit ironic, really. I was supposed to be doing my proper career and I ended up doing the one I was trying to avoid. Uh, Then I worked on a big cattle station and uh, that's really when I got busy um, taking more photos and selling them. And I used to sell them really just for the cost to the people working on the station. Uh, As time went by, I ended up on properties more than 100 k's from town, so I created my own business based around photography. Um, And then that led on to doing things like postcards, which I sold across the north of Australia with uh, cattle station information on them, because at the time there was nothing else available. And um, then went to holding exhibitions and I taught myself to write magazine stories, Then eventually, after nearly 30 years of aerial photography, I bought a drone and then I uh, started running drone workshops, the kind of workshops I wanted to attend and couldn't find anyone running. So, hmm. Perfect. So what led you into getting into drones? They're quite big in agriculture at the moment. Yes. Uh, Well, because I've been taking aerial photos from a helicopter, I didn't have autonomy because... But the kind of work I do, uh, it's not cost effective to charter choppers. So mostly I was with 
um, mustering helicopters, so I had to go where they went. I couldn't issue any orders because I was lucky to be there. And then when uh, DJI released the Phantom 4 in 2016, finally they were good enough um, for me to use for the kind of work I do. And that's meant autonomy. And then to my surprise, look, I joke that I've spent 35 years training for a job I never knew would exist um, because everything I've done before goes into what I do now. And uh, I expected a lot more people to take up drones in the bush. There's a lot of rural photographers that have sprung up over the last decade since digital's taken off. And actually very few have taken up uh, using drones. And they're a stepping stone to a lot of other ag tech um, and getting kids into STEM careers, a whole lot of things, enticing younger people back to the bush to get into other ag tech. So uh, I've been doing a lot of work in that regard. And, and for example, spray drones, because there is so much potential. And unfortunately, the fixed wing um, aerial applicators can uh, currently view, some currently view spray drones as competition, whereas in fact they're complementary because fixed wings still do some things better and drones can do some other things that fixed wings just can't do. Uh, so they're complementary. So part of the work I've been doing over the last six months or so is uh, to do with spray drones and trying to encourage the uptake of them because there's just so many benefits. Yeah, of course, enabling like farmers to get onto the land a lot easier. For your academy, what sort of training do you do there? Is that purely for photography or is that going through into spray drones, the, the larger ones as well? Um, mostly it's, it's based on a, a general um, foundation, which means running through the laws and the reasons for the laws, problem solving, because drones being relatively new technology, there is a lot of software glitches and they look simple, but they're incredibly complex. So uh, that is also why people have gravitated to the one brand because the benefit of using something that so many others are using, you can go online now and find solutions because a lot of other people have had the same problem. But even so, quite often people will come up with a problem that nobody else has had. Um, so I talk about drones, basically good operation, flying for fun, but then tacked onto that. Um, some industry bodies, for example, have got me to run a workshop on drones in agriculture. So then I have the foundation and then I tack agricultural uses onto that. And what is really undersold in relation to drones, everybody talks about the complex uses. Simple uses can really pay off for people. Um, a simple example is flying a drone over a crop, particularly tall crops like cane, which we've got up here in the tropics. Um, you can see a problem from the air that you otherwise would not find until you were harvesting. By then, yeah. crops, you know, the problem has just grown for months unseen. Um, you can get in early. So being preemptive is one of the main reasons why drones simply um, can pay for themselves very quickly. Everyone talks about the complex uses, uh, which is really unfortunate because that puts a lot of people off. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I saw the other day a tool on Twitter. Uh, you take photos with your drone and then like you take the images back and it counts the sheep or like the cattle for you. 
have you seen any of this getting about? I have, yes. People have been developing apps and, and it's quite interesting. It's such a fragmented industry and I'd apply that to ag tech generally. Um, I've got a Twitter account that is dedicated to events. It's not my main account, it's a secondary one. And all around the world I see innovation and there's a lot of wheel reinventing going along because someone in one country will be working on something that someone in another country is actually already perfected. Um, so there's really no excuse these days for people not getting online and doing proper research before they launch right into something because it may well be that someone else has already made it. Um, what they've made might not be perfect, but you research that and then you do a better job if, if need be. So there's a lot of parallel inventing going along. So it's very, very inefficient. Uh, a lot of money is and effort is being wasted. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. We could just probably tack on to the pre-existing uh, formulas and what's going on at the moment instead of launching, like you said. Sure. Launching your own because it is it is tough. And the other the other problem, of course, with ag tech is that millions and millions just in Australia is spent on inventing new stuff, and we already have a whole lot of new stuff that isn't being used. Um, water telemetry is probably one of them. Water sensors for stock water is probably one of the main ones. You know, you can get these units for around $1,000 each. Um, they're just amazing. The, all the people I know who have taken up using these water sensors all say they paid for themselves in a really short time, they love having them, and they wish they'd done it earlier. Um, the uptake is just so slow, it's exasperating, and I, I don't know why. We've got really good role models who are using them. Um, tried and tested, I don't know what the answer is to, to getting people to take some of this up more quickly. Yeah, I think for like farms advice, I'm looking to get people to adapt and adopt um, just to increase that the friction, to reduce the friction of people being able to implement these uh, technologies making their lives a lot easier. Um, it's just that initial stage of getting them on board. Thank Especially you. And we haven't, yeah. we haven't reached critical mass. We really need to reach critical mass. And as I said, it's so fragmented. There's no central spot where you can go, for example, and get spray drone information. You know, you've got to go to the APVMA for the chemical cert and then you go to CASA for your drone licensing. And nobody has sort of put together. So it's something I'm actually thinking about um, even just a simple blog post, you know, step by step, because there's really, really good business opportunities for entrepreneurial people in, in regional areas, in particular places, um, for starting up these businesses. So at the moment, I get people asking me if they know a spray drone operator, and I can't send them to one because there isn't one um, in their region. And that's crazy. It's really rare that you get um, demand outstripping supply. Um, so, and for a relatively small amount of money, people can get into this industry and be at the ground floor and become, you know, like one of the leaders in the industry. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I actually started a, like a agribusiness directory. It might be something that you could get onto, Fiona, if you like. It's a free thing for all agribusinesses. Um, and then like farmers can go on there and search for different services or products. Um, and just like hopefully adding to that transparency within the industry as well. That's a, that's a fantastic idea and there's been such a need for that. Um, and nobody's really done it. 
So to have a really comprehensive directory is just a great start because then people can go and see and they can see what's available and then choose, you know, get quotes from different operators or whatever. Yeah, but yeah. there just hasn't been something simple like that even. Yeah, it's quite simple at the moment. Um, the Like a minimal viable product I've gone for um, and hopefully tack onto it later in the case as more businesses come on and they are actually searching for different elements. Um, it would be yeah. perfect for anyone looking to kickstart or reach out to a different audience. Yeah, that's right. And because, as I said, I don't know of anyone else who's, who's put together a directory like that. The problem is some of them start off being advertising-based and then you just get the same old, there'll be a few who'll pay. And ideally, all businesses would chip in and if they all chipped in a little bit for something like this, uh, it wouldn't cost much for anybody and it would be a great resource. But, um, you know, people are just trained to want stuff for free online all the time. Um, so that's that's also a bit of a challenge. And it's partly why I haven't done it because I know how much work there is in collating the list and then keeping it up to date as well. There is a lot of work in that. So someone's got to pay for the time ultimately. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I think that will come into the end of it. But just to bolster it, uh, the, this podcast, uh, as well as having the likes of yourself on board um, and not just leaving it out there on the internet, waiting for people to find, being proactive on mm. that. Mm. So recently, you're the winner of the International Federation of Agricultural Journalism Star Prize for 2020. How did this come about? Uh, that's a bit of, yeah, I haven't been asked that really before. Um, well, I have some. I have quite a few journalist friends. I've got to know quite a few over the years. I've been interviewed by a lot. Um, I'm a member of the Rural Press Queensland Rural Press Club. There are rural press clubs, um, several others in New South Wales, uh, South Australia, and Victoria mainly, um, who hold regular gatherings. I'm very lucky because in Queensland, most the rural journalism was traditionally centred around Brisbane and also because Australian story was centred in Brisbane. So Queensland is fortunate to have, and Landline, of course, is made out of Brisbane. So really via there, that's how I got to know about the competition. I entered years ago and was runner-up, and I judged the competition more than a decade ago. Uh, and I only enter when I think I've got something really good, so I've only entered probably about three times. And it's four published images, and that's probably the stumbling block for a lot of people. If the image isn't published in the media, it's it's uh, can't be entered. So yeah, and it was a, a photo taken at the Cobb and Co Festival uh, last year, and Surratt has had uh, a real caning with the drought. So it was really nice. Um, the spin-off benefit, of course, is publicity for their event, which will be held again in 2024, which is the centenary of the last Cobb and Co um, coach in. Uh, in, in Australia, but it just happened to be around Surat in um, southern Queensland. Mm. It's a bit of a stunning photo. You've got six lots of cows towing the wagon behind, full of hay, wasn't it? Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Yeah, bull, a bullock team. And um, Philip Thompson actually uses the bullocks to sneak out logs in rainforest, you know, with selective uh, areas down where he lives in northern New South Wales. So they're actually still used. They're actually working bullocks. And it, it means they're really, really quiet. Um, some of them are a fair age. 
uh, they're beautiful cattle. And so they're great to fly a drone around and, and film drones have also flown around these bullocks. So I knew they were really quiet because I also wanted photos of the horses pulling the carriage. But of course, you have to be incredibly careful flying uh, drones around any animals, particularly horses that anyone's riding or pulling carriage um, is safety. I mean, and being a licensed drone pilot, there's a huge uh, load of admin and um, job safety that goes with that. So you can't take any risks. So it's much harder to, to do some things uh, with a drone than you might think because of safety. Mm. Yeah, I bet. But once you capture that one, as you have, um, it really pays off in the end. One like comment I saw in the Queensland Country Life was that you highlighted was the affinity that rural Australians have with their animals. Um, I think you put that together really well and showcases like how farmers do uh, connect with the animals. We're not, like for anyone looking in from the outside, it's a really good way to put it, don't you think? That's right. And, and not a lot of people um, talk about it. As, as, you know, 30 plus years going around to cattle stations across the north, you know, there'd be, I'd meet managers and owners who love trees or they love lizards or they love snakes or birds or whatever, but they wouldn't talk about it. But I, the best thing, I'd go on boar runs um, with people and then they start talking. They'll be telling me about things they don't talk about it publicly, and it is something that the UK does much better than uh, Australian farmers. In the UK, because of the pressure from the EU and the red tape and the need to put aside uh, wildlife areas and conservation areas and this sort of thing, um, the farmers there tend to be much, much better at talking about it. And you can see it on Twitter, all over Twitter. They'll be talking about how much they care about the countryside, and you can really see that they do. Uh, and I, I'd really like to see um, Australian farmers ideally and people on stations do more of that because um, if you don't talk about it, people won't know that uh, you, you're not just doing it for money, as the anti-live exporters like to say. Um, they just think people are doing it for money because often all they see is the industry-type messages online. They don't see... Uh, the environmental um, interest that most people on the land have. Yeah, and the husbandry uh, going along with that, caring for the animals, absolutely. So for yourself, what do you see like the importance of education versus experience? You've had like diverse experience across the top mm. of Australia there. Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Uh, for me, well, I guess a good example is I could have gone to, uh, I actually got into RMIT to study commercial photography, but I saw that uh, it, it wasn't going to take me really where I wanted to go and I felt I could be more creative actually without that formal training in this particular field. In the arts field, it gets a bit tricky. People do then vlog ideas off one another. Um, so what I've done since, and I, I then went to Ag College and did two years there, um, but since I've never stopped formal education in the sense that I've done so many short courses that are very specifically related to what I do, uh, photography, digital marketing. Um, I've done the RCS Grazing for Profit course, for example, in 1984, which I absolutely loved because um, it's a very holistic course. It's not just about grazing management. Um, so 
to me, it doesn't matter what you do, but I think the stumbling block is it amazes me. Some people think their learning finishes when they finish school or uni or college or whatever formal education um, they end up with. And really, it's lifelong. And if you just went on Google and did a lot of webinars and whatnot, you'll learn a lot. So I consider that to be education too. But uh, not everybody does that. And the interesting thing about the drone in the ad ag tech space is that you do tend to bump into a lot more people who are more willing to change, more willing to take risks. Because let's face it, nobody likes change. But you'll find a lot more of these people sort of gravitate to these events. So they're quite inspiring to, to mix with. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose you're stuck in the middle for your drone academy of people looking to change, whether they're using it for photography or even practical purposes back on the farm. Yeah, they tend to be, uh, if not early adopters, they're certainly um, prepared to give things a crack. So it's actually fun. The first time I went to a drone conference was Interdrone in uh, Las Vegas a few years ago. And it was a revelation. They had a dedicated photography stream, but also a dedicated agriculture stream. And the presenters there in agriculture were just fantastic. But it was roughly 3,500 people, nearly 4,000 probably, people at this conference. And they were uh, all, you know, entrepreneurial type um, people. So it was funny. Everyone sort of got along like a house on fire because it had the same kind of personality. Um, and a lot of them are role models, you know, in their community. People look to see what they're doing and see if, if it works for them, then they'll go and give it a crack themselves. And they also know then they've got a local who's further down the track that they can then ask advice from, which is probably gives a lot of people more confidence when they're thinking of taking up new technology. If there's others in the community that they know are happy to share information, um, that probably makes a big difference to people, I imagine. Yeah, absolutely. That's quite good that you got across to, was it Las Vegas? Yeah, it was. It was. It was fantastic, um, fantastic conference. And and I've since and going to that. Then I I spoke the following year. Then I I had a session there. And then two American blokes recommended me to a mob running one in Amsterdam. So I went over there. And then a bloke there recommended me for a conference in China. So I ended up speaking at two conferences in China. And that's sort of how the industry works. It's really interesting and. Um, it's great to get a, a network of these people because um, they tend to be really collaborative and help one another. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. It's just getting yourself out there, going to these events and a bit of networking, of course. Hmm. So with agriculture being a predominantly traditional industry, you've implemented a few digital assets yourself, um, even with the drone being your main go-to. How have you used social media and websites to reach out to people within agriculture and also to showcase your work to those outside of it? Uh, well, I got a website in, uh, it seems like ancient history now. To me, it doesn't seem that long ago, but sometimes I talk to people and they go, oh, I wasn't born then. It was in 2003 and there was almost no agricultural websites online. There were very, very few. Most of them were like a yellow pages ad for people who remember phone books. They were just yeah. like a page, you know, with contact details down the bottom and that was it. 
So I developed the website mainly to sell my photos, and but I also had a blog, and I used to talk about all kinds of useful information that I couldn't, not, at that time, you could not find anywhere, like rural employment information. What's it like to work on a station? Um, should you be nervous? Because I'd get parents sending me emails saying, oh, my daughter or my son wants to go and work on this station and, and I'm worried because they'd heard uh, the story of the two boys who died uh, near Halls Creek, for example, which was incredibly detrimental to the whole northern cattle industry. Um, so they'd be sending me emails, these worried parents. So I had a whole lot of information and, and actually for about five years, really, my website used to rank number one for um, outback employment, rural jobs, a whole of these search terms. It was very annoying because um, I wasn't actually running an employment business. If I had been, it would have been very lucrative. Um, but uh, I didn't want to go down that path. Uh, so that's how I started. And then when social media came along, um, of course, I took up those accounts. And I love, I actually run workshops on rural social media as well. One of the things I say to people is make sure you understand the differences between the different platforms. So most people pick just what they prefer, which is fine. But if you've got a particular purpose in mind, you need to think about uh, the differences between the platforms and the audience you're trying to reach. So for anyone in business, LinkedIn is a no-brainer. Even if you just set it up and just have your basic information there, it's like a little online CV that anyone in the media or anyone else will just stumble upon. You don't have to feed it very often. It's simple. Um, Twitter for global news and innovation, that sort of thing, and events is unsurpassed, whereas Facebook is really for local and groups, like there's some good drone groups, uh, yeah. good buy, swap, sell, you know, secondhand machinery, whatever you want. Facebook is the place for that. So they're my main three. Um, and people often don't understand that they are different and you use them for different things. And... Um, yeah, it's okay to prefer one or one or the other. Most people either really like Facebook or they like Twitter. There's very few people who like both, different personalities. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. I was trying to like track down different sort of farmers from around Australia. And like I think Twitter's the best one for people shouting out about different things within agriculture. Have you seen that Twitter, like they're quite proactive on there? Yes, particularly, you know, with um, auto steer and whatnot, there's a lot, the large grain growing places are actually um, killing it on Twitter because, you know, hours and hours on a tractor. So yeah. uh, the problem solving to you, you'll see someone around Moree um, take a picture of a problem, put on Twitter, and then someone uh, in southern WA will answer with the reply or a solution because they had the same problem. Um, it's just incredible. And I've also seen them uh, meeting up, you know, someone from... Um, Southern WA will be coming over to New South Wales and they'll go and visit um, some of the people they've been talking to on Twitter. And, and I've done that myself. I've actually stayed with people in the UK. I've met people in uh, the US particularly. Um, also a, a bit in Europe, but obviously English-speaking countries are easier. Uh, so for networking, it's, it's unsurpassed. But Facebook is great for local. Facebook is the best for local. If, if you want to reach a local audience, people in your own region, uh, Facebook is best for that because the number of people on Twitter is sort of, is a lot, but they're very sparsely spread. 
have you have you advertised on social media at all for your services? Uh, a couple of times on Facebook, I have for very specific things. For example, a farm tour I ran, um, and it'll work better for some things than others. But generally speaking, oh, you would never use Twitter. Twitter is great because they don't know all about you. And because they don't know all about you, the advertising is hopeless. Facebook is great for advertising because they know absolutely everything about you. Yeah. So they can really, really get to the demographic that you're trying to chase specifically. It's amazing what Facebook knows about you. Uh, and I wouldn't use any other. I, I'm into content marketing, which means basically making a really good website because as the saying goes, that's the territory you own. Too many people have built their business based around Facebook, for example. Uh, it's a free social media thing. You know, Facebook can do whatever they like overnight and you will lose all the years of work you put into it. It's crazy. So all those things should just be bolt-ons. Yeah, absolutely. So if you're online and you're building something, make it your own website and then direct all your social media to your website. Yeah, that's fantastic for like a stud um, having a website. They should actually, I think they should be writing about like their stud, what they're doing. Uh, and then that will organically drive some traffic there from Google as such. Exactly. Yep. Yep. That's, that's exactly what you do. Yeah, exactly. And talk about it and not just sales pitches. Too many people on Facebook um, or Twitter just do sales pitches and nobody wants to follow a constant stream of sales pitches sales pitches you know like who wants that you want interesting information uh useful information or you want to be entertained you want a good laugh uh so yeah some of those accounts that just tweet ads might have a lot of followers but the followers won't be engaging they won't be listening so you know having a large following is pointless if people have tuned out or they might have even muted you and you wouldn't know um so, yeah, go for quality, not for quantity, because ultimately um, most businesses have, you only need so many customers, so it's more important to go for quality. Yeah, absolutely. I think like the agricultural industry is very engaged online um, when they love it. If they don't love it, though, they're not going to engage at all. No. Well, for yourself, um, for like someone like, you coming through the ranks, how how would you give some advice to them coming up um, if they're looking to get into drones, um, photography side of things? Um, what would you suggest? Well, for example, with drones, most of the people I see who, who succeed bolt on to existing experience. Sorry, I've got a very noisy bird out. That's our rain bird. I don't know whether that... Is that coming through? It's, Are they just as good... Yeah, it's a, it's a spangled drongo. It's the best rainforest forecasting bird we have, just by coincidence. Does that it's mean it's going to rain? Bird. Yeah, it will. It might only be six bits, but it will rain. When that bird sings out, it never fails. It can keep um, singing out then. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All the cane, cane harvesters won't be happy, but uh, everyone no. else will be. Yeah, so the people I've seen who succeeded are the people who built um, bolted drones onto what they already do or an existing interest. So, uh, you know, if you were an agronomist, for example, that's probably one of the best examples. Uh, most agronomists either should have taken up drones themselves or they should have teamed up with someone who uses drones 
Um, although you can also use satellite imagery for mapping, uh, there's times, particularly if you're in a cloudy area or if you're having a cloudy year as we're having up here in the tropics, uh, where satellite imagery is not going to do it for you. So it's being bolted on. So spray drones would be an exception where I think you can go into that, but you really need agricultural knowledge um, and go into that and build a full-time business just around using um, drones for spraying weeds, precision spraying. So you're mapping and then you just, so it's not blanket spraying. It's not like crop dusting. It's very specific targeted spraying. Uh, so it's very economic, very environmentally friendly and you can get into areas that aren't accessible any other way. So it's building on what, you know, your networks that you already have, the knowledge you already have, the, the existing, even if, you know, you've only just left school, but you grew up in the farming community, uh, you already have a network. Your parents have a network. You've got a network of people. People know your family. You know the area. You know the weather. Instantly, you've got a big advantage of any blowing who comes and arrives. And that's happened a little bit in the drone industry, but most of those people have failed and then gone back to cities um, because a few years ago, agricultural drone use was seen as a big cash cow for um, people. And really, we want homegrown operators, you know, in, yeah. who grew up in regional areas. That's not to say people can't come from other areas, but if their heart's not in it, um, people in bush aren't stupid and they'll pick up if you're just there for the cash or whether you really know what you're talking and you're there for the long haul. Yeah, absolutely. So a young person coming through or an older person um, just sticking to their niche and using it throughout their own industry, for sure. Yeah, yeah. But to also as a sideline, so if anyone's on a farm and they want a bit of extra income uh, or say they have some periods where there's downtime or, you know, they might have a son or a daughter or whatever who, who can sort of take it up too, uh, it would be really good as a sideline, spray drone uh, work or... Um, aerial photography. Aerial photography, there's obviously less of a demand um, and that will probably, it'll probably separate into people will do it themselves or they'll want fairly high-end commercial photography and that's sort of what's happened on the ground with photography. People either do it themselves or they want something fairly high-end um, and that's not there yet with drones but that's what will happen. You'll either have to be very specialised and very experienced uh, aerial photographer or people will tend to do it themselves so photography is a pretty tricky uh, area I, I manage because I'm diverse I publish books I run workshops and I really like it that way I would not want to be taking photos every day uh, and you do have to be prepared to adapt you have to change your business and recognize when something is one market is shrinking so you've got to crank something else up yeah absolutely and working Publishing books um, works quite closely with being a photographer. You can put your photos in there and that's a key attraction. Yeah, exactly. It's sort of value-adding, really, because otherwise it's just like farming, you know. It's, it's, it's like uh, a specialist beef producer in Victoria, for example, um, selling to a wholesaler or do they launch into the farmer's market and go there and cut out the middleman, but then they take on a lot of extra work, so, you know. Um, everyone has to find that happy balance uh, and realise there's pros and cons of every every way you do it. There'll be an upside and a downside. Yeah, definitely. I think there's been a lot more talk about farmers finding that extra income 
or like in their downtime, they're looking for income during these long periods of droughts, especially. Yeah. Um, and yeah. it might be an excellent avenue for someone out there looking to get into drones. Yeah, exactly. That's perfect. So for yourself, uh, as a professional within the industry, what's one common myth you'd like to debunk um, within your niche? Oh, that's hard to choose one. <laughs> I have to. I have to do a couple. I mean, one. One is that, and this has probably been a little bit debunked, but like twelve months ago, uh, that drones were the be all and end all. It's like any tool; it must only be used for what it's best for. These ground robots that are doing really good, you know, like Swarm Farm down the road here um, towards Emerald, um, you know, and sensors for uh, water, stock water. Measurements, there's also satellite imagery. So you only, for example, use drones for what they're best for. And it can be very hard to find reliable information because mostly there's people either selling drones, selling drone services, uh, or they don't know what, well, I shouldn't say they don't know what they're talking about, but that's, that's the truth. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of journalists have had to write articles on drones under pressure. And they don't really understand the topic because it's quite complex and a very fast-moving industry. So a lot of the things you read in mainstream media about drones are rather like really 12 months behind or they're, they're not accurate. Um, so you find reliable sources and they are out there, but you've got to sort through a bit of chart before you get to the wheat. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Just making sure you've got the right information to launch yourself. Yeah. Or just to learn further yeah yeah cross-referencing is probably what i'd recommend so you know don't just rely on one source you find you know this person says that well that's great go and check that information in two or three other places particularly if you're making business decisions on it um don't rely on one source of information mm. yeah of course taking different elements from different parts it's a good way to do mm. it yeah so well, we might wrap it up there, Fiona. Thank you very much for joining us on the show today. Um, just a few questions before you go. Who would you like to hear on the Farms Advice Agribusiness podcast and why? Might be someone from your industry or? Oh, yeah. Well, actually, there you go. I'd actually love to hear a spray drone pilot. And I, I do know a few. They're sprinkled around. Um, and I'd love to hear someone who's actually doing it because I know I know already they're, they're entrepreneurial and uh, they get up and go types of people. They're groundbreaking and they're problem solving and they're role models for, for other people. So, um, I'm, you know, I couldn't probably pick just one, but uh, a spray drone pilot who's actually operating now in Australia. And it's also someone that would probably be of interest to other countries because there's a lot of other countries where you can't currently use a spray drone due to chemical regulations or aviation regulations or both. So Australia is actually in a position to be world leaders in this field if, if we get busy with it. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. That's a perfect suggestion there. I, I'll take a look into it for sure. Yeah, that'd be good. Good to hear it. Uh, for anyone wanting to get in touch with yourself, how can they contact you? Or like what's your social media handle? Uh, well, it's easiest probably just to Google me or go to my website, which is just fionalake.com.au. But if they Google Fiona Lake, um, I'm not the doctor in Western Australia. That will <laughs> probably become immediately apparent. I have yeah. no medical degree. Um, 
they'll find me and and they'll find there's links to my social media accounts on my uh, the bottom of my homepage and my website. Yeah. Fantastic. I'll have all these in the show notes anyway with links to your website and your social media. But thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. Uh, hopefully we get to speak to you further on down the line. No worries. Thanks. Thanks for the great questions. They were excellent questions. Thank you very much, Joanna. Speak soon. Thank you for listening to the Farms Advice podcast. I hope that we can help you fill in the gaps of your business to help you grow into the future. If you'd like to get in touch, see how we can grow your agribusiness, please visit us at farmsadvice.com.au. Please share this podcast with your colleagues, friends and family to help us find the right audience to improve Australian agribusiness. Hope to see you next time. Cheers. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.